0: Praise the Lord. Thank you so much. All right. How many of you brought your Bible with you this morning? Will you hold up the Word of God all over the building? And I want to ask you to join me now way over this morning in the New Testament in the book of Ephesians, chapter number 4. Ephesians, chapter 4. I have an old Schofield Bible. If you do, that's page number 1254, 1,254, Ephesians, chapter number 4. And I want to read one verse here in just a little bit. If you'll leave your Bibles open. And just follow me along as we look at this verse together. What I really want to do is just maybe lift three words out of this verse and preach on them this morning for the three points to the message today. And I'm glad you're here. I really appreciate you being here. And I want to say this: You're always welcome here at Woodland. We love to have folks come visit with us and come back again and again and again. And thank you for being with us on this uh, this Sunday morning. Well, my wife last night, as we were getting ready to go off to sleep, my wife said. To me, what are you preaching on today? Or tomorrow, which would have been last night, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I said, I'm preaching on chicken. And she said, That means you're not going to tell me. I said, No, I'm preaching on chicken. So this morning I'm preaching on chicken. Alright? And uh, I want to ask you to leave your Bibles open. You'll follow me. You'll get it here in just a moment when I talk about when I talk about chicken. Alright? Ephesians chapter four. If you're there, would you say amen? All right, if you will, I want you to look up on the screens this morning and you'll see a picture of one of the most... Rec- I told you, it was on chicken. If, if preachers must live, chickens must die. That's what the Bible said. And uh, so here is one of the most recognizable faces in all of the world. That is, as you know, that's Colonel Sanders, Colonel Harlan Sanders. His story, if you've ever read his story or maybe you've even heard somebody talk about it, is really an amazing story. He was born on September the 9th, 1890, in Henryville, Indiana. His daddy, his daddy died when Colonel Sanders was only five years old. This forced his mother to leave the home. They had a farm, leave the home. She had to go to work in a local tomato tomato canning factory. This left Colonel Sanders at home to care for two of his younger siblings. They were three years old at the time. They say, the story does, that by the age of uh, seven that Harlan Sanders was already an accomplished cook. He was fixing three meals a day for his family. When he was ten years old, his mama remarried and Colonel Sanders and his stepdaddy never got along. So at the age of 13, Colonel Sanders left home. And over the next several years, he would hold down a number of different jobs. He was a a streetcar conductor. He was a soldier. He he lied about his age when he was 16 years old and signed up with the United States Army, went into the Army as a soldier. He was a salesman. He was a fireman. He studied law by correspondence course and actually became a lawyer for a little while. He was a secretary for the Chamber of Commerce in Columbus, Indiana. And then he accumulated money, accumulated money all of his life. So uh, he, he took all the money that he had saved up and he sunk it into a business. And this business eventually failed and he lost everything that he had. He then moved to a place called Winchester, Kentucky to work for the Michelin Tire Company. And then he lost that job because the plant closed. After that, he took a job with the Shell Oil Company, North Corbin, Kentucky. And it was there in the back of this old shell gasoline station that he actually began to sell his chicken. He served customers. He could only seat six at a time. And he served them on his kitchen table. And He had a little room he stayed in in the back of the, uh, the, the, the uh, service station. And he served people his chicken there at his table. He, he became an instant success. People started talking about, you've got to go over there and eat. So he moved across the road and he bought a restaurant there. It could seat about 60 people. And in 1940, he finally finalized his secret recipe, you know, the 11 herbs and the spices for his fried chicken. In 1952, he began traveling across the country, believe this or not, in his own car, often sleeping in his car, cooking chicken for different restaurants. And if they liked it, he entered into an agreement. They just shook hands upon the agreement that he would let them use his recipe Uh, on on the uh, premise that they would pay him five cents for every chicken that they sold. At the age of 65, with nothing more than a $105 Social Security check coming in each month, he came up with the idea of franchising his business. So in 1952, the very first Kentucky Fried Chicken opened its doors in the state of Utah, and as they say, the rest is history. Right now, there are more than 23,000 Kentucky Fried Chicken restaurants in 142 different countries around the world. He died in 1980 at the age of 90 years old, and everybody in here has probably had some good old, finger-looking good Kentucky Fried Chicken. Everybody, I'm sure, has eaten there at one time or another. I remember when I was growing up in the summertime, Saturday afternoons, my daddy got off work. He'd come home, not every Saturday afternoon, but two or three times every summer. Mama would throw a blanket in the back of the car. And uh, we'd go by Kentucky Fried Chicken, get a big old bucket of chicken and whatever, the fixings, and we'd take off to the parkway. We'd go up to the parkway and spread that blanket out or either we'd go to Cumberland Knob and get a picnic table and go up there and uh, we would eat Kentucky Fried Chicken up on the parkway on the side of the road. Now, I know you're probably sitting there thinking, Preacher, thank you for telling us that story. and We're glad for Colonel Sanders. Everything worked out for him. But what in the world does that have to do with us? Well, I'm glad you asked because here's my message this morning. Colonel Sanders was not the original inventor of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Not by a long shot. You see, thousands of years before Colonel Sanders ever came onto the scene, there was already a KFC in the Bible. So what I'm preaching on this morning is this thought. I'm preaching on the original Kentucky Fried Chicken or the original KFC. F, C, And I want to make a statement, and I'm going to prove it, and we're going to go eat some Kentucky Fried Chicken. Well, I tell you what, I've just upped their business some today because some of you are thinking right now, if you'll just shut up, I'm going to go get me some of that Kentucky Fried Chicken. Well, this morning, I want to make a statement. I want you to listen to me. I'm preaching on the family, on the home, and my statement is this. Every family, every home needs a good old bucket of KFC. Every family, every home needs a big old bucket of KFC. Now, let me, let me stop. You say, preacher, where is this at in the Bible? I'm glad you asked. Let me read it to you. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, and I want you to look at verse 32. All right? Ephesians 4, verse 32. If you write in your Bible, circle these words, and be ye kind. Circle that word. K, kind. Uh, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted. Now circle this next word, forgiving, F. Forgiving one another, even as God, for... Now circle this next word, C, Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now if you want to know what the original KFC is, there you've got it, kindness, Forgiveness and likeness. KFC. Now, I'm telling you this morning, every home in this building needs a big old bucket of KFC. If your home is going to make it, if your marriage is going to make it, you've got to have KFC in your, in your home. In... Your marriage. So, what I want to do this morning? Can I just look at these three words: kindness, forgiveness, Christlikeness, and let's see what all of this has to do with the subject of the home? First of all, look at verse 32, and let's talk about kindness and be ye kind one. To another. Now, I've got to stop. Let's think about the word kindness, the K. Let's think about that for just a moment. And just so we're all on the same page and thinking along the same lines, let me give you some synonyms for the word kindness. All right. These are words, they don't sound alike, but they have similar meanings. For instance, the word cordial, the word courtesy, the word decency, the word goodness, the word uh, gracious, the word hospitable, hospitality, patience, sweetness, and understanding, all of those are definitions of that one word, kindness. We can actually read this verse like this. Look at verse 32. And be ye cordial, courteous, decent, gentle, good, gracious, hospitable, patient, sweet understanding with one another. Boy, if there's one thing that our homes need, it's some kindness in them. Am I right? We need some kindness. You know, Mark Twain once said this. He said that that kindness is a language that the deaf can hear and the blind can read. Someone else said this. Kindness is nothing more than just love that's been put into shoe leather. You know, kindness... It's something that doesn't cost us absolutely nothing, but it always rewards us. It doesn't cost you anything to be kind. It doesn't cost you $5. It doesn't cost you $20. It doesn't cost you anything to be kind. But I would tell you something, kindness is always something that has a boomerang effect on us. When we're kind, somehow or another, kindness always comes back to us. You know, the Bible does say that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And the thing about it is you always sow uh, more, you always reap more than you've sown. And if you'll just sow a little kindness, you'd be surprised at the kindness that would come back to you. It cost you nothing to be kind. I read the story this week. I want to share it with you about this pastor. And he had taken some teenagers from his church several states away to a youth camp. And so after the camp was over, they decided to leave after the final service and to drive back home on a, on a Friday night. Well, as they were driving home that night, it was the middle of the night, very late at night, and the pastor, as he was driving, everybody else kind of sacked out in the bus, in the van, uh, he started hearing a tire make a funny noise in his car. And he thought to himself, you know something, I've got some precious cargo on here. I can't take a chance on this. So he decided at the next exit he was going to get off and to see if he could find out what was wrong with the tire. Well, he exited off the highway, it was like 2.30 in the morning. He exited off the highway, and sure enough, right off that exit was the tire store. But it's 2.30 in the morning. Nobody's open at 2.30 in the morning. So he pulls into the parking lot of this tire store. Well, on the sign, the glass door of, the, of, the, uh, of, this, of this tire company, there's a sign that says, Available for help, 24 hours a day, call this number. The preacher thought two thirty in the morning, but he said, What have I got to lose? So he called the number and in just a few rings an answer, a hello, came on the phone and he and he said, Sir, I read the sign here, it said that you would help us out. We're a church group trying to get home. I got a tires making a funny. So he told him the story and the man said, I'll be right there. And when he got there, the preacher said, He was so kind. He said he actually took all the kids off the church van, took them back in the back in the little lounge area where you wait for your car to get fixed, opened up the drink machine, gave them all drinks, opened up the NAB machine, gave them all crackers to eat, so kind, and fixed their tire for them and did not charge them one dime. He said, Preacher, I can't charge a church group. It's free. Just take it on. Just glad you gave me a call. Well, when the preacher got home, he got to thinking about the kindness of that man. So he wrote the company, wrote him a letter, and told him about his experience in the middle of the night and how kind that man was. Well, about a year later, that guy that owned that tire store called the preacher. The preacher left his car with him and he called him. He said, Preacher, I just wanted to call and thank you for being so kind. And the preacher said, No, sir. It was not I who was kind to you. It was you who was kind to us. He said, No, I'm talking about the letter that you wrote. Because you wrote that letter, my company had just voted me salesman of the year. I got a free car out of this deal for just helping you out that night. I wonder how many of us would be kind this week if we knew we was going to get a free car out of the deal. But you know, if there's one place that you and I should always be kind... You know, it ought to be in our homes. If there's ever a place, if there's ever a place that we ought to demonstrate kindness, it ought to be in our homes. Whatever happened to kindness? Why the hatred? Why the argument? Why the, why the tempers flaring? Whatever happened to kindness in the home? I guarantee every man sitting in this room, you didn't win your, your wife with insults and rudeness. I guarantee you, you didn't get her to say yes to your proposal by being unkind and abrasive toward her. And by the way, you ladies in here didn't woo your husband by your hatred and by your nagging and by your meanness. No, sir. Let me tell you what attracted you to your spouse. Maybe you say, boy, they were good looking. Well, maybe that was the case. But I tell you what, you never would have married that old boy if he hadn't have been kind to you. And buddy, I'm telling you, the way we got them ought to be the way we keep them and we ought to learn how to be kind to each other again. Let me tell you what really kindness is? It's just a choice. Make up your mind. Make a choice to be kind. Let me, let's do this this week. It's 1043. This is the first day of the week, so let's just do this. Why don't we, for the next seven days of our life, why don't you just make a choice? You know, this week, I'm going to be kind. Now, if it don't work out, you go right back to being your hateful old self again. If it don't work out, it's fine. But why don't you try it this week? When you walk in the door, why don't you smile? Hey, why don't you compliment each other this week? Instead of of this you, you, you stuff, and me, me, me stuff, and I, I, I stuff, why don't we try to be kind to one another this week? Hey, you want to to shock your kids? Be kind to each other. Hey, I'll tell you what, husbands need to be kind to their wives. Wives need to be kind to their husbands. Hey, parents need to be kind to their children. Children need to be kind to their parents. Why don't you wake up every morning and begin today by saying, Dear Lord Jesus, I want to give myself to you in the opening hours of this morning. And God, I want to be kind today. Would you produce in me the fruit of the Spirit? Would you give me love and joy and peace and gentleness and faithfulness? and kind? Would you produce that in my life? I surrender myself to you. And just because somebody says something ugly or negative to you don't mean you have to retaliate and say something back to them like that. Why? Aren't we kinder in our homes? We need kindness. Sir, can I ask you something? When's the last time you were kind to your wife? Kind. Let me remind you again what kindness is. Cordial, courteous, decent, gentle, good, gracious, hospitable, patient, sweet, Understanding. You say, I want a new wife. Well, why don't you be kind to the one you got? She'll have a heart attack and die, and you can go out and get you a new one. Why don't we be kind to one another? I guarantee you this morning that uh, if, if the truth be told, probably some of you, some of you had a knockdown, down drag-out fight over here on your way to church this morning. And it was just, boy, this, man, this happening, boy, this being said, that being said, and the hatred and the animosity. And then when you drove in the parking lot, man, it was amazing transformation took place. You jumped out of the car, went over and opened the door, you hypocrite you, and got her out, took her by the hand. Y'all walked in here with a big smile on your face, and down deep on the inside, you so mad, you gritting your teeth. You can't stop. Why don't you be kind? Hey, guys, why don't we make up our mind to be kind to our wives? Hey, let's kill him with kindness. Hey, why don't you ladies this week shock your husband? I mean, if you want a new husband, kill him with kindness. Why don't you make up your mind this week? I'm going to get a little K in my, in my family. I'm going to have some kindness. There's a second thing in this text. Look again at verse 32. By the way, I know there's not a lot of amens going on, so you don't even have to say this, but I'm I'm, I'm preaching pretty good this morning. Because here's what's going to happen. If you don't get some kindness in your home, your home's not going to make it. This fussing and fighting and hating each other and and arguing with each other constantly. It's giving your children a bunch of stinking uh, ulcers on the inside and, uh, and, and it ain't doing you no good either. Why don't you try a little kindness? There's the word kindness. That's the K. Notice again in our text, verse 32, Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted. Boy, could we not say, why don't, when's the last time you were tender-hearted towards your spouse? When is the last time you saw them hurting and you hurt because they hurt? Hey, guys, when's the last time you saw your wife crying and it broke your heart because you were tender-hearted toward them? Listen, our homes don't have to resemble war zones. God never intended for your home, for your marriage, to be like a, a battlefield. God intended for our homes to be a little heaven on our way to heaven. But I'm afraid homes are nothing more today than hell on earth because there's no kindness anymore. Kind. Be ye kind. Tenderhearted. Notice the second letter there, verse 32, the word F, the letter F, KF. Notice the word forgiving. Forgiveness. Boy, don't we need some forgiveness in our homes. You know, I said a moment ago there should be kindness in our marriages, but uh, you know, when there's not, you know what there needs to be? Forgiveness. You know, somebody once said this. Look up on the screen. Somebody once said, that the sinfulness of the human heart is manifested and magnified in the marital relationship. I don't know what it is about the marital relationship more so than any other relationship that we have in this world. The the sinfulness of our heart is magnified. It's almost like, man, inside of marriage, all bets are off. In the marital relationship, we say things and and we do things and we act in certain ways that we would never think of saying, doing, or acting in front of others. Some of you wouldn't dare walk into your job in the morning and just walk up to somebody you work with and say, you look awful. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't go up to somebody you work with tomorrow and say, you're an embarrassment to me, would you? You wouldn't go up to your boss tomorrow and say this, I wish I'd never came to work here. Because he might say, well, let me help you with that. (laughs) Here's something called a pink slip. See you later. Hey, but why do we say those things to each other inside of marriage? I mean, why do we say to our wives, you embarrass me. You look awful. You put on weight. Hey, can I tell you something, Bubba? You You don't look the same when she married you neither. Hey, can I tell you something? Why why do we say to to our spouse, I hate you. I wish I would have never married you. I'm telling you something, friend. We say things like that inside of our marriage. Unto God, what are we thinking? And when things run amok inside of our marriage and there's no kindness, you know what it takes? It takes forgiveness. Every young couple that gets married in our church has to spend time with me before I marry them. I'm not saying that's a good thing, but they have to. Usually for six to eight hours, I'll sit down with every young couple before they get married, not, not in one time span, but six or seven different times, and I'll talk to them about marriage. Not that I'm a pro, because I'm not. I said the other night my wife was meaner than a junkyard dog, but I tell you what, if she walked up here in this pulpit, I guarantee you she'd probably say, and he is too, only on steroids. I've got to tell you something. I ain't got it all figured out yet. I'm still working on this thing myself. I'm not a professional, but every young couple that get ready, gets ready to get married, I set them down and I talk to them about marriage, about getting married. And here's the one thing I always say to them. You'll need more forgiveness than you will need love to keep your marriage together. Now, you stop and think about that. You say, Preacher, love is going to keep my marriage together. No, it won't. There ain't no way. There ain't enough love. You know what's going to keep your marriage together? Commitment and forgiveness. Because in the marital relationship, we sin against each other. We do. And when we do, you know what we need to learn how to do? Forgive one another. Forgiveness. Forgive one another. Can I tell you this? The 12 most important words of any marriage... If you don't learn how to say these 12 words in your marriage, your marriage is not going to make it. All right? There's 12 of them. I put them up on the screen in groups of threes. Here they are. The first thing you better learn to say is this. I was wrong. Now, I know. I know. I get it. It's hard to say that sometimes, ain't it? It's like Arthur Fonzarelli. Fonzie on happy days. I was whoop whoop, 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 It's hard to get that word wrong out, ain't it? I was wrong. The second group of words you better learn how to say is this I'm sorry. I am sorry. The third group is this Please forgive me. And the fourth group is this I forgive you. On, Can I tell you something? you're going to sin against each other inside of your marriage. It's going to happen. Now, hope and pray that it's never nothing like adultery, anything of that nature, but let's just face it. We stand in enough trouble just by the things we say to one another. Can I have an amen? Boy, I tell you, some of y'all looking down right now, you may not have slept good last night or something. But I will tell you something, friend. Your marriage needs forgiveness. You need to be able to look at each other. And when you've done something wrong, when you said something you shouldn't have said, you ought to be able to look at that other, your spouse and say, look, I was wrong about that. And I'm sorry. I really am. I am genuinely sorry I said that. And I'm going to ask you now, would you please forgive me? And, and your response is, okay. I've said things to you before I shouldn't have said. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I forgive you. One of the most amazing stories about forgiveness, I I just read it this week. I don't think anybody in here will recognize this name unless you're a pro-golf fan and and then go back several years ago. But there was a golfer. He was from the country of Argentina, and his name was Robert. And boy, I hope I'm saying this last name right. Roberto de Vincenzo. I hope I'm right about that. He only won, he won 230 tournaments during his golf career, but only eight of those are like the PGA. If you don't know what that is, that's like the major league of golf. He won eight PGA tournaments. Probably one of the things that he's, Roberto is most famous for is that in the 1968 Masters Tournament, he could have actually tied and forced a playoff, but he, on his scorecard, he, he got it in in a three, which is good, but he wrote down a four. And when he signed his card, I mean, that became like law. He couldn't go back and change it. And so he actually lost the Masters in 1968 by one stroke, but he actually tied the guy who won it, but he signed his name and made a mistake on his scorecard. And most people, that's what they remember him for. But I'll tell you what I read about him this week that absolutely amazed me. After he won one of his tournaments, he he got his clubs. After he won, they presented him with the check and uh, he got his clubs, and he was going out to the car. And when he got out to the car, he raised his trunk and was putting his clubs in the car when a lady, he'd never met this lady, approached him and began to tell him this story. She said, Sir, I have a child that is sick and dying. And, Sir, I have no place to live. I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I, I don't have a job. I can't work because of the sickness of my child. I, I, sir, I, I don't know. I just I, I need some help. And Robert De Vincenzo took the check that he'd won, turned it over on the back, endorsed it, signed his name to it, and handed it to the lady, stuck his clubs in the back of the car, and drove off. But that's not the end of the story. One week later, it was found out it was all a scam. One week later, you know, there's some people that always want to run to church when they need something and they act like they're this godly person that loves the Lord Jesus when all they are is a bunch of low-down devils trying to take money from God's church. There's a lot of people like that in this world. We get bombarded by that constantly. And one of the most difficult things we have to do as a church is try to figure out who to help, who really needs help, and who's, who's scamming us. <laughs> Can I have it? amen? So it was found out it was a complete scam one week later. And they approached Roberto de Vincenzo about this and they said, sir, you you endorsed your check. You gave it to this woman and and you gave it to her. And, sir, she don't have a sick child. She, She lied to you. And Roberto de Vincenzo said this, well, that's about the best news I've heard all week long that a little baby is not sick and dying. And that's all he ever said about it. Never tried to get his money back, just left it. At that boy, what if we had that attitude inside of our homes? Man, what if we were that forgiving when our spouses hurt us? When things happen inside of marriage, what if we were just willing to say, You know, something I forgive you? Man, let's don't, it's done, it's finished, it's gone, let's, it's just, it's just done away with. I, I don't even care. Let's move on from this point forward. Boy, I'm telling you something, you're gonna need some kindness, you're gonna need some forgiveness. But then look at that last letter, verse 32. God hath forgiven you for Christ's sake. You're going to need some Christ-likeness inside of your home. That's right. You know, if there's any place you and I ought to strive to, to really be like Christ. Christ-likeness means like Christ. And if there's any place you and I ought to strive to be like Jesus, it ought to be at home. Let me me show you a verse. Look at this verse right here. It's in your Bible, but here's what this verse says. 1 Timothy 5, 4. Let them learn... What's the next word? Let them learn what? First. To show what? Piety. Where? In the home. Now, what does that mean? Let them learn first. All right, the first place Paul says you ought to do this. Do what? Show piety. What's piety? Religion. True religion. Let me read it to you like this. First place you ought to show your religion is inside the four walls of your house. Can I have an amen? If there's any place you and I ought to strive to be like Jesus, it ought to be inside our house. But many times that's the last place we're like Jesus. I mean, we wouldn't think about walking in the morning, in the morning, down the shop, throwing a piece of wood across the shop, taking a chair, beating a table. We wouldn't think about that. But we go home, cuss, rant, rant, and rave, and throw things, kick things, kick a cat. a cat sees you coming. Of course, every cat needs to be kicked, but uh, cat sees you come, takes off running because the last place we demonstrate true Christianity is inside of our homes. You know what? We ought to be like Jesus. We ought to be like Jesus inside our homes. I mean, think about those two things, those first, the K and the F. What's the K stand for? And the F? All right, think about kindness. You let me tell you something. Boy, Jesus was kind. Wasn't he? He was a kind Savior. Can I tell you this? Our God. I mean, we don't even think of him in terms like this. But can I tell you something about God? He's a kind God. Amen. Amen. He's a kind God. Look at these verses right here. Psalms 117, verse 1. Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people. Hey, we ought to just have a fit this morning and praise God. Why? Look at this verse. For his merciful, say it with me, is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord endureth forever... Praise! A, you know we ought to pray. Somebody ought to jump up and watch. I just want to praise God. He sure is kind. He's a kind. He is a kind God. In fact, let me ask you this: Why are you saved this morning? Well, I mean, the, our natural response, man, I'm saved by the grace of God. And you know something? Okay, I get it. You're right. You're saved by the grace of God. But can I tell you why you're saved by the grace of God? Because He's a kind God. Look at this verse. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 7 that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his what's the next word in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus in other words throughout the eons of eternity God is going to demonstrate his grace because of his kindness he is a kind God, Look at that Titus 3, 4 verse, Titus chapter 3, verse 4, but after the kindness and love of God our Savior to, 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 uh, appeared uh, toward, toward man, appeared. Why are we saved? I'll tell you. Oh, we're saved by grace. I get it. Yeah, we're saved by grace, but it's by, we're saved because of God's kindness. He is a kind God. Boy, if there's any place we ought to be like God, like Jesus, I'll be inside of our home. Boy, we ought to just demonstrate kindness in our home. Amen. And then what about this? Forgiveness. Jesus was forgiveness personified. Can I tell you this? I told you, you know, really, the husband and wife relationship is but a picture of the higher and holier relationship that exists between Jesus and his church. Yeah, I marry people. You know, you know that now. I, I do some weddings occasionally, and not near as many as I, 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 I don't want to do weddings. I'm afraid I'm always going to mess up and call one the wrong name or say something wrong. I tell jokes in weddings, and it, it's, just, it's just not good. I get off track sometimes, start telling jokes. and But I marry people. And every time, I can't help but think this, what happens is, if you've ever been to a wedding here, me and the guy that's getting married is right out there. okay? So me and the best man and the guy that's getting married is right out there. And the lady that's getting married comes through those doors right back there in the middle. And so what happens is the piano player will hit a certain key, don. It's like you don don da don don da don da. No, I'm kidding. But anyway, they'll hit a certain key, and okay, that's the that's the key for us to come out. So myself and the, the guys getting married and the best man will come right out, walk up here, and we'll stand right here. And then all those other people come in and then finally the doors will close. And then say it's at 2 o'clock, the piano player goes, dung, dung, and the doors fling open. And here comes the bride walking right there. And every time that happens, I keep thinking, that's what it's going to be like some of these days when Jesus comes. Because that relationship, that might be him calling about that right now, as a matter of fact. (laughs) But can I tell you something? That relationship... Between Christ and His church is a picture of our relationship between husbands and wives. Now watch this: Could you ever picture Jesus being unkind to his church? I mean, could you ever just picture Jesus just slapping his church? Could you ever picture Jesus? Could you ever just picture Jesus just uh, saying hurtful things to his church? Could you uh, He ought to? Could you ever picture Jesus saying, you ugly, you embarrassed me. I wished I'd have never saved you. Could you imagine him saying something like that? I can't imagine him being that unkind. And by the way, the church ought to never be unkind to Jesus. Now let me ask you something. If Jesus would never treat his church like that and if the church would never treat Jesus like that, sir, why do you treat your wife like that? And ma'am, ma'am, why do you want to treat your husband with such anger and hostility? And what about forgiveness? Could you imagine Jesus ever looking at his church? When one of us messes up, we go to Jesus and, and we say, Jesus, I have sinned. Please forgive me. I am sorry. Jesus, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And Jesus looked back at us and said, not on your life. Who are you kidding? You think I'm going to forgive you of what you've done? Or have you absolutely lost your mind? No way! I'm going to forgive you. It, it's finished. We're done. It's over. Now, if Jesus would, would Jesus ever say that to his church? Of course not. Why do you want to say that to your spouse? Why the unkindness? Why the hostility and the anger? Listen, I'm going to tell you something. If some of you don't wise up, if you don't straighten up just a little bit and get over your old selfish ways and your old hateful attitudes, you ain't going to have no family. We need a good old-fashioned bucket of Kentucky Fried, not Kentucky Fried, Chicken, Kindness, forgiveness, and Christlikeness. Because if we don't get that bucket of KFC in our families, our families aren't going to make it. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray this morning.